there. Church of the Beloved. I'm going to ask you really quickly, there's a lot of announcements that are going to be happening today, so if you guys can stick around to the very end, I'd really appreciate it. And for those of you who are tuning in for the very first time, my name is Abe, I'm a pastor here at Church of the Beloved. The, if you're new, it's first time joining us, we'd love to get you connected with our beloved community. So I'm going to ask you, if you could, text COTB to 97000, or just go to our website, cotb.life, and we'll get you connected. For those of you who have been enduring the last year of virtually gathering together, thank you. It's been a year. It's been a a trying year. Uh, You've been faithful in the hope of something better. I commend you in your faith and your faithfulness. It's been rough for a myriad of reasons. It could be uh, isolation, economic hardship, maybe the inability to just enjoy a meal in a restaurant or, or work out with your friends. But... I'm seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, thankfully. Hopefully, really hopeful that that's not a train that's heading towards me. Speaking of trains, it's a horrible segue, I apologize. Anyway, a few weeks ago, my wife and I, we made plans to uh, take the Metra from the Clybourne stop near our place in Wicker Park. We, we don't own a car. Uh, we wanted to take a ride out to Evanston. We were going to have a double date with friends of ours who live there. And I have to say, we were so unbelievably excited uh, about this excursion into the real world. We were, we were going to venture to the outside world. And as Suzette likes to say, we were going to meet people in 3D. So we pulled up the phone, uh, the menu on our phones. We read through it and looked at the options. We actually had our order ready two weeks before the actual double date. Uh, we mapped out the train's timetable. We looked at the route that we would take, um, figured out the timing texted our friends, make sure that we're still on for that evening. There was a lot of preparation for that date night in the real world, and, and then it happened. It was awesome, and we had a lot of fun. It was glorious, amazing food, great conversation. We even got our steps in. It was, a, it was great. I, I bring this up for a reason, for, because of Lent. You see, here's the thing. Lent is a time of preparation. It's 40 days that are the shadow of the 40 days that Jesus prepared himself to enter into ministry. And it's a period of time that's intended to help us prepare for that darkest moment that led to the most glorious of events, Easter, Resurrection Sunday. You see, this time of preparation, whether it's a time of sacrifice or fasting, and just so you know, uh, one of the intents behind fasting was to take the money uh, that would have been spent on a meal or something and intentionally using it for the poor or those who are vulnerable. Anyway, maybe your time of preparation is through time set aside in devotion. I've, I've joined a small group of people who are going through a Lenten devotion at noon every weekday, just for a few minutes. You know, if you want to join us, you know, email me. We'd love to have you. Actually, if you're participating in Lent in any form or fashion, we would love to hear about it. So if you would, email me, abe at cotb.life, or email info at cotb.life. We want to hear your stories. Now, back to today. Today is the first Sunday of the month, and as is our tradition, we set aside time to remember the death and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we do this through communion. So if you could, please be sure to have your communion elements, the bread that represents the body of Christ, the cup that represents the blood of Christ, because we're going to take part in this holy ceremony together after the message today. Now I'm going to ask, if you would, pray with me. I'm going to dedicate, I want to dedicate this time and this message to God. Let's pray. 
Almighty Father, you reign. You reign in heaven with your Son, our, our high priest, our, our perfect and our eternal advocate. And so may the words of my mouth open up all our eyes, including my own, to this reality and its impact on our everyday. Holy Spirit, speak through me now. In the strong name of Jesus, I lift this prayer to you, God. Amen. So, now we've been focusing on what we call the gospel, according to Hebrews, over the past few months now. Last week, Pastor James, he shared that, this great quote, that if we live by sight, we wander. But if we live by faith, we walk. And James pointed out that... uh, there are three things the pastor in Hebrews was emphasizing in chapter 10. That was that faith calls us to draw near, to hold on, and to stir up. I've said before, the pastor of Hebrews, it just shows that pastors got to do what a pastor's got to do. And so this pastor expounds on those ideas. It falls into more detail on what drawing near, what holding on looks like, what, what faith is, and how it leads us to draw near and to hold on. Back in 91, I was a senior in high school. I had been accepted into college. I had finished all my AP or advanced placement tests. I had really nothing left to do from a schoolwork perspective. Actually, I had nothing left to do in any perspective. I was done. I had, as some of you have heard the term, senioritis. Uh, And it's not a real thing for those of you who have never heard it. But anyway, I was suffering through senioritis because it was as if I had already graduated, but I had not yet gotten my diploma. I wasn't there yet, but, but I could see the, the certainty of my future hope based on the reality of my present situation. I was already, but not yet, finished with high school. And, and I think some of you are seeing where I'm going with this. There's this theological concept of phrase that some of you may have heard already, but not yet. And this chapter in Hebrews points to that tension Hebrews 11 explains this tension between the already, but not yet, and the examples of individuals who lived in that tension by faith. And the pastor here expands upon the concepts that Pastor James preached on last week by answering this question, what is faith? Verse 1, let me read it again to you. It says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There's a, there's a missions conference held every, I think, three years. Uh, it's called the Urbana Student Missions Conference, or just Urbana for short. It's because back in the day, it was held at U of I in Urbana-Champaign. It's since moved to St. Louis, and it's still called Urbana. I, I don't understand why, but that's besides the point. One year, I think it was back in uh, 1987, uh, there was a speaker who asked this question, a very simple question. Do only Christians have faith? And I remember hearing that question and thinking to myself, well, yeah, because I was young and I I was not very knowledgeable. Truth is, and you probably all know this because I'm guessing many of you are smarter than me, but, but faith in and of itself is not something that's reserved for Christians alone. Honestly, if you think about it, there often is evidence of faithfulness so much more evident for those who are outside of the Christian community than within it. See, faith is a total trust. It is a complete confidence in someone or something. And I'm sure if you take a moment, you can think of someone in your quarantine or your friend group that that has faith in something, right? A person who is of Islamic faith typically will have confidence that following the five pillars will bring them to a, a path of complete peace. And 
to be honest, I, I often think that there's greater external evidence of faithfulness within those who are Muslim because they engage in those five daily prayers. The Buddhist has faith that the, a life lived following the eight guideposts down the middle path will lead to nirvana. Scholar or scientist will have faith that, that global climate change is a thing because of the evidence. I had faith that the Mandalorian would eventually be reunited with Grogu, Baby Yoda, because that's how TV works. That's just the way it is. Christianity does not have a singular hold on the concept of faith. But what this passage is telling us and telling the reader is that faith is absolutely the cornerstone for Christians and, and then explains what faith means from a Christian perspective. See, the pastor wants us to understand how our faith in God, how our faith in our Father's promises, our faith in the Son's actions, our faith in the Spirit's presence, how this is different from faith in anything else. Let's unpack this verse a bit. The pastor writes that faith is the assurance. In other words, faith is the bedrock of our belief. The original Greek word for assurance is hypostasis. And if you look at other translations of the Passion, the message versions of the Bible, they translate this as the foundation. The New American Standard uses the certainty. Other translations use reality. Assurance, foundation, certainty, reality. But just based on all these translations is this. Faith is super, uber important to our status as the beloved of God. So as we read on in this verse, we consider what it is we are certain about what our foundation is as Christians. What is our reality? What is the assurance in? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. My wife and I, uh, we're going to go to Seattle in a few months. Uh, I get to officiate a wedding there. Very excited for Mike and Emily, uh, by the way. So we figured, hey, we're, you know, we're going to be on the West Coast anyway. We'll extend our time. Let's go down to San Francisco SF and, and, and visit our friends, our old church family. It's where Suzette and I moved from a few years back. Now, remember, this is months away, mind you, okay? We're not talking about next week. But I'll tell you the excitement <laughs> that I'm feeling about this trip, the, the joy that I'm feeling about the possibility of the hope of leaving my house to do something other than pick up groceries or pick up a no-contact takeout meal is palpable. I, and I know I'm not alone in this. Suzette and I, we shared with some of our friends in San Francisco that will be coming down again. I'm talking months down the road, okay? And they've got it in their calendars. They're making plans on what we're going to eat, <laughs> when we're going to meet, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it safely. The sense of joy, the sense of excitement and the hope of something in the future. In the same way, the Christian faith is based on a future certainty. It's based on a hope in the not yet. And, and, and here's how my faith, how our faith as Christians is different from anything else. Because what we have hope for is found in this book, in the Bible. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, Paul explains this. He says, We are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, Peter explains that, that our hope is in the promise from God for a new home, 
when he writes this. He says, but according to his promise, we, were, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the certainty in the promise that God has made. Faith is the complete confidence that the better and perfect high priest, Jesus Christ, is right now preparing for us a better and perfect home, heaven. And in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, John explains that, that what heaven will look like. It, it looks like this. It says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor, nor crying, nor, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We have certainty in the not yet. Now continue on in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Christian faith is based on the certainty of future promises from God, the not yet. It is also based on the present realities we experience today, the already. See, Christian faith is based on the conviction of things not seen. And let me explain this. See, the, the pastor of Hebrews wants the reader and the listener to fully understand faith is about the future and is about the present. It's about God's future promise and about God's current and constant presence. The word conviction in Greek is alankos, and, and it also can be defined as proof or evidence. So our faith as Christians is a proof, the evidence of things not seen. Faith provides corroboration of the spiritual realm. See, Christian faith is not intended to be a blind faith. Christian faith is intended to be an informed faith. To say it a different way, our faith in the certainty of God's promise opens our eyes to the supernatural work being done right now to fulfill that promise. See, our faith allows us to experience the already as we wait for the not yet. Now I'll tell you, the majority of uh, chapter 11, verse 3 to chapter, uh, verse 38, the pastor is pointing out example after example of faith in this tension. From, from verse 3, the pastor reminds us that, that faith allows us to, to understand that God's been here from the very beginning, creating the world with a word. Faith led Abel to give a better sacrifice than Cain. Faith led Enoch to live a life that made God say, you know what, Enoch, you're not going to suffer death. I'm just bringing you home right now. Faith led Noah to, while living in a desert, build a boat. You know, if you think about it, it's like somebody in Texas decided to buy a snowblower 40 years ago. Because of their faith, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stepped into a fire that was so hot that the soldiers that were guarding the entrance to that fire, they died from the heat. But those three didn't. They just hung out inside this blazing furnace with a fourth person described by King Nebuchadnezzar as the son of the gods. Because of his faith, Daniel got to chill with one of God's angels, just sitting in a den of hungry lions. Because of faith, Isaac was born to Sarah when she was way past menopause. Because of faith, Rahab survived the fall of Jericho. Because of faith, Israel was brought out of Egypt. Looking at verse 1, just going back to it for a moment, I want to sp spend a, time, a little bit of time on it. See, the pastor explains that our faith as Christians is based on 
the future and on the present. The, the certainty of our Christian faith is based on the already, but not yet. And I, and I think it's important to sit on this concept for just a moment longer. Because you see, as Christians, we are already adopted. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are already adopted, but we are not yet fully adopted. Later on in the same chapter, verse 23 says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. As Christians, we are already redeemed by the blood of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of, uh, of his grace. We are redeemed, yet we are not yet fully redeemed. Later in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, as Christians, we are already sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, just the first part, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are uh, sanctified in Christ Jesus. But we are not yet fully sanctified. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, he says, Now may God, the God of peace himself, sanctify you completely. See, our faith as Christians is in the already, but not yet. Our faith is in the blessings promised by God. Our faith is in the promise of home, of heaven. And this faith is not a blind faith. It is an informed faith. Our faith brings the object of our hope, the future certainty of heaven into our present reality. We're living in the already, but not yet right now. Now, verse 1 is all about what faith is. Verse 3 to 38, all examples of faith. I want to spend a moment to close out uh, in, on verse 2. For by it, the people of old receive their commendation. Now, verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. That's the money verse. That, that's the one that uh, gets all the attention. Now, if you grew up in church, maybe you went to a Christian club like Awana or something, that's probably a verse you had to memorize, right? That's the familiar one. But verse 2, not so much. But there's a huge truth in this verse, in verse 2, that as I was studying, it made me pause. Because we have to remember the context of this sermon letter. The, the, the pastor's talking to Jewish Christians who are contemplating returning back to Judaism. These are people who are leaving the body of believers who proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus was crucified, was buried, and rose from the dead so that no one would have to sacrifice or be beholden to the law, be beholden to the law anymore. Well, these folks were, were thinking of going back to the rituals and the rites they'd grown up with, that their ancestor Moses had established because God told them to do it. And this pastor in this sermon letter is saying something monumentally important here. The pastor is saying, those things that the people did, those sacrifices, those rituals, that's not what redeemed them in the eyes of God. It, it wasn't following the law that was important. It was their faith. It was, and it still is, faith in God that pleases the Almighty Father in heaven. 
It was, it was Abraham's faith that led him to obedience. It was Sarah's faith that led her to a, having a child. It was Moses' faith that saved Israel. It was Rahab's faith that saved her life. The pastor of Hebrews is explaining it was never the incense wafting to the sky. It was always the faith behind the hands that lit the incense. It, it, it wasn't the sacrifice. It was, and it still is, the heart of the person making the sacrifice. It, it was never the rituals. It was never the rites. It was, was and always is our confidence in the promises of God. It is this assurance that led and leads his beloved today, his beloved women and men to live in that confidence. And this redemptive faith, this this faith that has been demonstrated over the centuries, this total trust, this complete confidence, it was and it continues to be in the one who came fully as fully man and fully God. This faith was and is in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. See, our faith as Christians is in the certainty of heaven. We have this assurance because our future hope and present reality because of the already but not yet. It's always been faith that redeems. It's always been faith that leads to the evidence of transformation. It was never meant to be the other way around. Just so you know, our actions do not bring about our faith. Our faith brings about our actions. It has always been faith that enables us to draw near, that to hold on, to live a life that brings God all the glory. Here's the point of today's passage that I want to make. I have a feeling that there are some among you right now that are on the verge of giving up. Or, or maybe some of you are listening or have already thrown in or know someone that's already thrown in the towel. The original audience of this sermon letter they were ready to leave their community of believers and rejoin an old one. They, they wanted to go back to the familiar because the current one, the, the body of Christ, it was just too hard. And this section of the, this chapter in the sermon letter is intended to be encouraging, to embolden those who are teetering on the edge. And the pastor is reminding this audience of the examples of the ancestors. How those who went before them understood the hope of heaven was never about the rituals. It was never about the rites. It was never about the struggles. It wasn't about the victories. It was never about the suffering. It wasn't even about the celebrations. It was always and will always be about faith. Faith in the one who made that promise. It was always about the one to whom we are called to draw near. So this is my ask, this is my plea to you now, to to live out our faith, to live with the assurance and the conviction in the hope of heaven. It means that we, and including myself, that we must strive to let the evidence of transformation become evident. We, We need to allow the devotion in our God to become daily. We must remember that, that it's not about the rituals or the rites or the discipline or the duty. The pastor wants us to understand that the discipline we are called to is our devotion to the promise maker and to the promise keeper. I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to go ahead and come on back on the stage. Now, in this time between Christ's uh, crucifixion and his resurrection and his return, 
he left us some instructions on how to continue a holy ritual, not as a duty, but rather as a reminder of God's grace. Communion, it reminds us that by trusting Jesus, we can draw near to our Father in heaven. It reminds us that we are the beloved of God because of Christ alone. And it is an act for all of those who call Jesus their Savior to remember his sacrifice, to to celebrate his resurrection, and to anticipate his glorious return. 